If your kid ate mud and you don't know what to do And your neighbors judge and your in-law shitty too Pour tequila in your coffee Don't go running as your mommy And together we'll break it down to find a clue Ask the badass moms like a badass mom would do We're here for you This is Christy. And I'm Jenna, and this is Badass Moms. Badass. Welcome back to the Badass Moms podcast. This is the third and final episode in our Why I Stayed series. As always, I am one half of the Badass Moms, Jenna Levine Liu, founder of Six Cool Moms. And with me, as always, is the beautiful, magnificent, Christy Mirabello. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. And Likewise. Us, yes, indeed. And with us, we have a, another special guest who's here to tell her story. Her name is Christine. She is a mom and she is no longer with this person, but she was in a physically abusive relationship for 12 years um, until she finally had to leave. And she'll tell you a little bit why that is. But welcome, Christine. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. All right. Why don't we just jump right in, Christine? Why don't you start at the beginning? Where were you born? How much did you weigh when you were born? I'm kidding. I say that every time. I don't need to know that. You, <laughs> you start where you feel comfortable starting and tell us your story. Okay. So I got married when I was really young. Um, my ex-husband and I already had a daughter together. She was about one. And I did know that he had an ex-wife and a son from a previous marriage, but I was young, I was dumb, I got the whole, she's crazy, don't believe anything she says, you know, and I had never spoken to her, so I was like, okay, you know, people say crazy things about me, whatever. Well, um, at first, the violence was just, you know, it was like a slap here or there, or a push here and there, and I was actually raised in a household where um, like physical abuse was considered discipline. Mm -hmm. So in my head at the time, I thought I was like, well, you know, I'm used to this because like, I have been raised to think that if someone really loves you and they just make a terrible mistake, like you do not blow up their spot and like, there's no need to, you know, they're just very sorry and it won't happen again. And it, I mean, it got progressively worse, like over the course of 12 years, but um, how did you meet him? Um, actually, I, we met through a mutual friend, and we both liked the same wide receiver on a football team. So, I mean, and I have to say, like, he had a great personality. He was employed. He was very intelligent. And so I thought, you know, like, maybe, like, lots of people had bad childhoods. Like, you know, maybe, you know, just growing up and getting help in therapy. Like, you know, I had it in my head that, people change and you know it wasn't life or death at the time so you know that kind of, and then so he was abusive immediately um I would say at least within the first year yes and when did you so, get married um we got married in 2006 so you were together for how long before um about a year okay 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 so, um, 
and it would just be, I started to notice years in, like after I had two children, that episodes of violence were usually actually not even related to me. It would be like, he had a really bad day at work or someone at a traffic light had insulted him and that sort of thing. And it would, it would always be, he would always be super apologetic like to the point that he would cry, he would spend days in bed, and I would wind up comforting him. Like, oh my gosh, like, I, I know you're just so sorry. And I realized at the time, like, I should have been out the door. But really, when this all came, like, I thought about leaving a lot of times. And I really cared about this person. Like, I realized that this was not acceptable behavior, but I did still care. And it was one of those where, like, I'll, I'll kill myself. I feel so terrible. And like, I was afraid of that. Like, I don't want someone mm -hmm. to die because they just feel so badly. Like I'm alive. I'm okay. I don't have broken bones. Like, mm -hmm. um, and then, and his parents were also very supportive. Like they would say like, well, you know, oh, well, we, we tried to get him into Brooklyn. He just, you know, they won't take him unless he admits himself because he's an adult, you know, we'll have What's to get Brooklyn? Um, Brooklyn is a local, I guess like a mental health facility where if you need inpatient care, but you're not like in immediate danger of like suicide. So you're not at the emergency room, right? Gotcha. So like you spend like 24 hours in the emergency room and then they refer you to Brooklyn and it's either a short or long-term care facility. And they will tell you if you need inpatient or outpatient treatment. Like I didn't realize that his parents being so supportive was a detriment to everything because he had been in legal trouble before. Mm. Um, but, and he had a domestic violence charge and the way that it was explained to me. Did, was, you, did you know that? Um, I did not know that until probably like after I had already left because oh, wow. the record was sealed because there was a minor child involved. So even if I were to case search it, I had no idea. So, he never told you. Do you think no. that would do you think that would have affected if you would have walked away? You know, I really cannot say. I can say that I probably would have gotten in touch with the victim and asked if like all these years later, what's the story? Right. Was that his ex-wife that filed like, the report? To bother you. It's just I'm in a bit of a sketchy situation, so like just for my own peace of mind, can you tell me what what happened or how that worked out for you? Um, but of course, wait, I, real, real uh, quick question. Was that charge from his ex-wife or a completely different person? Um, it was from his ex-wife. Who sure I would have loved to talk to her. I really would have. And she actually did get a hold of me years later when she found out that this had happened to me. So mm -hmm. that was kind of her, you know, mm -hmm. like she reached out and said, like, I know how you feel. I didn't see it coming either type of thing. So it, it really all came to a head in February of 2016. Um, he had come home from work and he had gained a lot of weight. And he literally, I know it sounds funny, but it's really not. He was deeply upset that none of his underwear fit. I get that. And <laughs> right, like I would be upset too, but he responded by, he, he pulled a gun, he pulled an assault rifle and he tried to shoot, um, he actually shot one of the cats and tried to shoot the other one. And we wound up with a bullet hole in the ceiling. Oh so I told the kids, I was like- He shot a cat with an assault rifle? Yeah, like in the yeah. house in front oh of God. the kids, okay? But so yeah, the, so wait, like, the kids were there. 
Yes. Oh, my kids were present. Oh my for gosh. They saw him murder the cat? Yes. Um, cool. And so I told the kids, like, we had never left before, but very often his mother and I had a close relationship, like, because I don't have a close relationship with my mother, obviously, mm-hmm. because she was also physically abusive. Right. So his mother was the one that was like, if I needed to know how much Tylenol to give a kid, I called her. If, mm-hmm. you know, and like the kids had a very close relationship with her. So she would literally come and pick the children up so that they did not see me with bruises and stuff. And she would be like, oh, girls, we're going to be on ice. Yes, enabling. So I thought at the time, like, oh, how kind of her to not traumatize the children. And it wasn't until my dick. Yeah, right. Okay. So this gets better. So this day, this particular kill the cats day, he didn't want me to leave. So he actually like, um, like hit me, punched me, and I was semi-unconscious. And the next thing I know, he's- Was this still in front of your children? Yes. So he was, he dumped like a five gallon thing of gasoline, like you get for your lawnmower, all over me and all over the bed and tried to light me on fire. Mm. The lighter wouldn't spark. So my daughter, who was like seven at the time, started screaming at him and he, he turned around and chased her with the gas can and said, you're next, you fat, stupid bitch. So that was enough as a mother for me to get up and like I, I, the window was broken because it had been shot out. So I threw my keys to my purse out the window. I told the girls to run. I climbed up the window and I drove to, I was trying to drive to the police station, but I was covered in gasoline. And so I actually got pulled over. So of course the cops were like, what's going on here? And my daughters from the back seat started telling him what had happened. So I wind up in the hospital, getting my eyes flushed, getting cleaned up. And so they were like, where's he? And I'm like, I have no idea. Cause I assumed that he would have fled. I- he was sweeping the back porch, like calm as can be like, oh, I'm just cleaning the yard and told the police that he had no idea where his wife was. He thought perhaps she went to Walmart. Wow. Because I had never like contacted law enforcement before. So I guess he thought that I like just took the kids out to blow off some steam and would be back. So they arrested him on the spot, of course. So he actually wound up pleading guilty to take a plea deal. What was the charge? Attempted murder? Oh my gosh, it was like assault and battery, terroristic threat, endangering minors. Like he was charged very appropriately. But to avoid Mm -hmm. the attempted murder charge, he took a plea deal. And actually like the state's attorney asked me like, well, what do you think is fair? And I'm like, please don't ask me that question because there's not a tree hanging, you know, high enough to hang him from like, that's your job. So if you as the prosecutor feel that a plea is appropriate, I'm okay with that. As long as he gets jail time, he's not allowed anywhere near me or these children, whatever. So yeah, like really quick question. Was he under the influence of anything? And not that it matters either way, really, but no, not actually. Okay. So his mental health, did, did he have like a diagnosed disorder? He did, um, but he decided that they were full of crap and he didn't need to take this medication. Mm. Cool. Obviously. So he's cool in a sarcastic so, way. I hope everybody gets that. So this goes to court. He pleads guilty. They put him in jail. I think he got like two years in county, a year of house arrest, five years probation, no contact with the victim, et cetera, et cetera. So holy then, shit. He sued me for divorce. So I'm like, awesome well apparently he changed his mind and wouldn't sign so obviously my house had nearly burned to the ground so we lost like everything wait 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 wait. 
So a fire did start? Oh, yes. Oh. Because the mattress was still covered in gasoline and everything. Like, so I he mean, lit the mattress on fire? Yes. After so, you left? Yes. Well, I don't know if it was after I left or as I was leaving, because I didn't turn around to look. Oh, I was God. covering gas. I wasn't trying to die. So, um, but it was to the point where, like, the reason that I have dreadlocks is because half of my hair burnt to a crisp. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I've always wanted dreadlocks. I'm not crying about hair. My freedom hair. Here we go. So um, <laughs> Your new hairdo, yeah. So I thought, like, okay, moving on in life. Well, he got out in like six months because the jail was overcrowded and he had good behavior. He was on house arrest and I guess his mother had my new address because she was still allowed to see the kids and all that sort of thing. And he drove from Fayetteville to Waynesboro and broke in my kitchen window with an ankle monitor on thinking like, I don't know what, have, holding a gun to his head saying that if I didn't take him back because he was so sorry, he was going to blow his brains out. So mm -hmm. I walked out the door and I was like, please don't get your brains on my carpet. So I- <laughs> Yeah, let's not do that. The police, they arrested him again. And then he got years in like a state penitentiary. So he is now incarcerated like in state prison. You, how many years did he get? Um, I'm not sure. I know he saw the parole board last year, but um, he lied to them for something. So now he now has extra time. Mm, so, good. and um, so in the least you know where he is. Yeah. So of course I got full custody. He lost his parental rights. Yes. So good. His mother and father turned around and sued me for full custody on the grounds that their son had so badly abused me that since I was now diagnosed with PTSD and all of these things, how could I possibly manage to homeschool two children? Because the court recommended they be homeschooled. And they had always been homeschooled. So the court was like, yeah, this is a terrible time to dump them in public school. Yeah. Like they have PTSD. So they made them take an educational evaluation and they like blew it out of the water because his mother tried to say like, oh, she doesn't actually educate them. And you know, they're, they're uh, pussy I'm, and, all, I'm sorry, bitch, but you didn't do so well with the one that you got. Right, like, you can't have that. Is in jail for trying to murder people yeah. in front of these grandkids. That Let's not throw stare about so much. So, but it actually took a year and a half because they would bring up crazy things. Like I'm actually really thin. Um, I used to be anorexic and it was because he all the time called me fat and my mother wanted me to be like a classically trained ballerina. So they actually said in a court of law that because I am so thin and I wear hoodies in the summer, that I must be hiding some sort of intravenous drug use. <laughs> oh my gosh. So God bless the state of Pennsylvania. I passed a urinalysis because I'm not a drug addict. I don't do drugs. Like I, that's just not my thing. I don't judge people who do, but I'm raising two kids and I'm homeless. So like- They're like your heroin chic vibe yeah. is yeah, like thrown as well. I know looking at me, but this is hobo chic, not heroin chic. There is a difference. <laughs> so- <laughs> um, Bohemian, so, man. Yeah, so this court case actually took a year and a half of them suing me for full custody. Um, I won, and then they turned around and filed for grandparents' rights, which in the state of Pennsylvania is automatic as long as the grandparents themselves have not been convicted of any crime that would prevent them from being around the children. So they still get the girls four days a month, like every other weekend, overnight or whatever. 
but that's what I offered them in the first place before court because I was like, look, you guys didn't do this. I've always had a fine relationship with you. Right. As long as you understand that he is to have no contact with these children, I don't want to take that relationship from that. They've already lost their father. I don't want them to yeah. lose their grandparents and their cousins. And so, so they want to you. Are you confident that they are, they'll stick to that and they're not going to like take them to visit him in prison and stuff? Um, they're actually not allowed unless they have a form, like they have to take photo ID for the children and there has to be a form filled out, not just once, but every single time that is signed by me saying that I give permission and it would have to be mm -hmm. under the supervision of a therapist and a social worker. So I actually did say um because the girls are now 12 and 14 and I know that they really feel like they never got to speak their piece how it impacted them it's and a nightmare so, how old were they when this happened um well let's see it was in 2016 so you know just I've got 14 and 12 now so you know <laughs> they were little yeah. like middle school like um and so I did say that if the girls understanding that there would be a therapist and he's behind the glass and you got to talk on the phone. If the girls ever had something that they felt that they needed to get off their chest and say to him to his face, I would absolutely approve that. Yeah. Because Sign I off on like, that. Real quick. So why like, did you stay as long as you did? Um, well, <laughs> I just thought, first of all, I thought like no one would believe me because like, we were not in poverty. We owned a home at the creek. We had vehicles. We had boats. He was employed full time. I was literally the only one besides him that knew any of this was going on. And short of a black eye or broken teeth, which granted sometimes I did have, but when I started to think like, I need to get out of here. I need to leave. I was like, nobody's going to believe me because if you speak to the man, like he's a computer engineer. He's so intelligent. Everyone loves him. He's got friends. Like people like that are also very good at being manipulative and right. making it well, seem like you're the crazy one. Well, to the point that he manipulated Franklin County until they realized like, oh my gosh, that wasn't good behavior. That was a trick to get out and like try to, like he literally broke in through my kitchen window, like with a house arrest bracelet on. Like to me, that's just like a little mentally you know, clearly you have mental right. issues because that makes no sense and you are a smart individual. So clearly yeah. something yeah. that seems, it seems obvious. So, so did you, when you got out, when you did get out, did you have support? And we've talked about this with the other ladies. Did you have that support system? Had he isolated you from your friends? Yes, I was completely isolated. Okay. And like my mother, I guess, tried to come to bat for me. However, my mother is Catholic. And so my lawyer felt that it would not be helpful for her to be involved because she said that while she agreed that he should be in prison for life, I should not get a divorce because it's not Jesus's fault that I picked a bad husband and I made a promise to God. And so my mm -hmm. lawyer was like, okay, thank you. anyway, we don't need your help. I, I do understand why it's so hard for people to leave because like, I'm not to toot my own horn. I'm an intelligent individual. I now own a business. I'm a legal marketing strategist. Like I knew that I would be able to make it. However, since we were not divorced yet, his parents had actually paid for his defense attorney. And he said, well, I don't have any money. So he literally paid them in the form of all of our assets. Like 
I was completely homeless. With Wait, how, how is that possible? Well, because it was joint marital property. And right. if it's joint marital property, then you can use that to pay a debt. Wow. So I wound up with nothing. Like, I did not even have socks that matched. So, so do you have advice on that part? First, I was referred to CASA. Um, but I actually had a friend that was aware of the situation. And you know what? But you and the girls, come stay with us until you get on your feet. So I chose to go that route. But that was the frustrating part for me, is that, like, I'm an intelligent person. I'm an employable person. But they were like, well, you know, here's some food stamps. You qualify for cash assistance. We can get you in Section 8. And not that I think there's anything wrong with that for people that need it. But I'm like, wait, so I'm supposed to hide the rest of my life because it's not safe for me to go get a nine to five job because these people could just show up and you know all he has to say is like well I didn't know she worked at Walmart like my bad that's not a violation of a restraining order like things like that so I that is actually how I came up with my work from home business solution because I was like I it's not that I think that there's anything wrong with accepting public assistance but I just think that they have one way to handle victims. Mm -hmm. There's not several options depending on your situation. Like I understand if you were a woman that was completely dependent on an abusive spouse or even a husband that was completely abusive, you know, abused and dependent on his spouse for everything. Like, of course, those people need all of these resources. But I feel like for a person that says like, no, I need to get, for my own mental health, I need to get on with my life. I need to start over. Like, I want to work. I want to show my girls, like, we will not be the eternal victims. Like, sure, you guys can't go to public school and I can't go work a retail job. But that doesn't mean that we can't be great at school and we can't come up with a job where we can pay our bills and have a home and these sorts of things. Like, we're just going to have to find a different way to do this and still be successful. And I really thought, like, there was nothing but brick walls. So you're not well, even just surviving, you're thriving now. Yeah, well, now, yes. And I'm, I'm actually remarried now. And my husband oh, also happens to be, um, he was also the victim of domestic violence. And it does work the other way around. Yes, so how did, and how did you guys meet? Um, that is actually, it's a terrible story, but I can laugh about it now. So in between my ex-husband, I think at one point he was on work release before he got put in the state pen. He somehow got access to the internet and he actually like posted my picture in like the personal section and was looking for someone to like kidnap or kill me. Oh. And my current husband was the only person that felt the need to like try to find my information and email back and be like, are you aware that this is out there happening? Like, I'm really concerned for you if this isn't a joke. And that is how I met my oh, husband. Well, he's obviously very unstable and just out there. Did, right. So are you going to write a book about this? Because this is just amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I'm really actually thinking about it because yeah. I am a writer by trade. I'm a legal marketing strategist. Mm -hmm. So I, um, I like advertise and sell lawyers. But my clientele is strictly, I only represent lawyers that take pro bono cases oh, yeah. or people like mine because I was being sued for custody and like they had a gangster lawyer. They spent $165,000 on a lawyer to sue me and I don't even own matching socks. Right. So 
I lived in Pennsylvania at the time and there happens to be a law firm called Midpen Legal Services. And it's not like a public defender. These are private attorneys that also donate their time for people like me, like yeah. people that did not commit any crime and were literally being sued for custody. And like, I almost lost my children for what? You know what I mean? I didn't do anything wrong. I kept them safe. I got them out. Like, and you're going to sue me because I was so abused that you don't think that I can mentally recover? Like, watch me. Yeah. So <laughs> you are like, so inspiring. I just yeah, want to yeah. say that. Excuse so with me. all of that being said, you know, like with all this stuff that the concerns, the anxieties that come up when you are faced with right. the choice of leaving, what is the advice you can give? Because I know sometimes like it took you to that rock bottom for you to get there. Right. But if right. someone's in it and they, they haven't yet been, been almost murdered yet, right? right. But they right. do have these fears. What advice can you give about how to overcome that fear? Because that is, it's a real fear. And how, from the right. other side, what advice can you give on that? So I, I can say, and I think that this is more helpful than an opinion because this is actually fact-based. The reason that it was so difficult for me to get out of this relationship was because we had been married for 12 years and we had children and we had all this joint property and stuff. Whereas had I left within the first one or two years, it wouldn't have even been that difficult to untie those knots. It would have been a lot easier um, for me to say that. And I, and then, um, so that is the, the sooner the better because the longer you wait, the harder it is going to be. Um, and I know that you probably love and care about the person, but I learned that you can care about a person without being with them and being in danger. You can be somewhere else and still care about him and wish the best for him and hope that he gets help. You don't need to be physically present to still hope that he can heal and be a better person someday down the line. Yes, so, you, can, you can love from afar. Yes, love know? from afar, exactly. And it doesn't mean you hate the person. And I mean, no. yeah, you, you And know. that is actually unhealthy because hate takes as much energy as love. And you know, when you're in that spot, the more positive you can think and the more hopeful you can be, the, the faster you're going to heal. And truthfully, yeah. he's, he's, he's sick. He's, he's, a right. sick, he's a sick man. And so you have to protect yourself. But at the end of the day, like he doesn't deserve your anger. He doesn't you even deserve have, your pity. He, he just, he's, right. a, he's sick, you know? You can have compassion for the person, but not their behavior. The actions, yeah. Yes. 100%. So, and then the other thing that, um, you know, going through the situation, you know, one thing that I noticed was like, once I did leave and some time had passed, I was then able to look back and see like some of the things that I thought might not have been the biggest deal. Like he didn't give me a black eye. It was a slap. There's not even a mark. Who cares? And I look back and think, had I left for that? And then um, one thing that I always struggled with, I know personally, so maybe a lot of other people out there feel that way, is when these things would happen and I would be sitting there in the bedroom with my coffee, like, I need to just get out of here. I need to just get out of here. I should leave. I should leave. One thought that I always had was, but what if he means it this time. 
And what if he goes and gets help and he turns into the best dad ever or the best husband ever? And then I look back and think like, I just jumped the gun and I didn't give that man a chance. And like, you know, and I regret that so badly. Like, I'm so sorry that I judged you and, and didn't believe in you. And now he, I almost, that- he almost made it easy for you at the end because what he did was so crazy. Yes. That is um, like, well, it was, but then at court when he pled guilty and cried and you know, it, it came off even to the court that like, he had he's remorse. So sorry. He, he realizes what he did wrong. And I'm sitting there like, I actually it may like, have been actual remorse. Him. He may feel yeah. bad about it. It just the right. anger in it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Right. You don't you don't murder a cat, try to set someone on fire, and be like, I'm sorry, oh, I had a bad day. It was actually the, um, by the time I got back to the house with the police, like to collect my belongings, because he had taken my phone, so I couldn't call for help. So I had to like I literally to this day I can't see very well um, because the gasoline had gotten in my eyes and like damaged my. Oh like uh, my uh like retinal nerves and things like that so mm. my sight is healing but it was to the point where like I couldn't even get contact lenses because they wouldn't help you know like because the nerves had degenerated so badly and like I, I literally was almost blind and you know like that stuff doesn't go away as fast as a bruise but um my therapist actually told me very helpfully okay so just like that doesn't heal as fast as a bruise your mind's not gonna heal for a long, long time. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> work. And then one thing um, I will say that really helped me, there's a program in Pennsylvania, we don't have it here yet. It's called Justice Works. And it's actually a branch of social services. But so like if a social worker had come to visit me and the children, they would have been like, your kids, like you don't even have any record of them doing any school because it just, you claim it burned to a crisp. They don't have health insurance, you're unemployed, and you're homeless. Like, we can technically take your children, which they could, even if they weren't trying to be mean. Like, that is their job to make sure that children do not wind up in these situations. Mm -hmm. So, what Justice Works does is they send a social worker who acknowledges that you are only in this boat because you are the victim of a horrible crime. And so, what they can do is they'll be like, oh, you don't have a copy of your driver's license? Okay. I can take you to the DMV and I can show them my badge and I can tell them what happened. And then look, Christine, we'll leave with the driver's license. Oh, you don't have a bank account. Okay. Well, we can go open you one. You know what I mean? And like, I will take you to do that. I will get your debit card. I'm allowed to vouch for you. I'm a state employee. And so that really helps. So I think like more programs like that would immensely, like I owe that woman my life and my children. And And that's just in Pennsylvania. Um, I think that they're in Pennsylvania and Ohio, and maybe one other state, but it's privately funded, so I know that they're trying to um, spread to other states, and after the video chat, I can actually send you the information. Um, I'm actually, great. the lady um, that helped me, her name was Erica Bruner, and she still keeps in touch with me. Like, somebody out there is going to believe you, even if only one person believes you. Call me. I'll believe you. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, believe hit, me you. hit me. Yes. Like, hey, there are support groups out there. Use social media. People are going to believe you and people are going to help you. And, you know, I know that there's a lot of red tape with trying to get resettled and reestablished. But then again, there's people like us out there 
who have been there done that and maybe have like, oh yeah, I know it's really hard to get the paperwork done for this office, but you know what, if you do it online, it goes really fast. So like right. people out there have been there, you are not alone and people are happy to offer you like tips and tricks like that we've learned along the way. Yeah. Well, we're glad that you're in a in a good situation now and you got yourself out and you're happily married. And we really, really, really appreciate you taking the time to tell us your, your story today. Um, Chrissy, do we have time for a Moms in the News? Let's go for it. I'll do a, I'll do a quick one. You want to stick around for Moms in the News? Sure. All right. Awesome. This one's a good one. Last week, I it was a real bum bummer. <laughs> it, that last week was interesting. Yeah. So motherhood is a job and these 50 leaders say you should get paid. So celebrities like Eva Longoria, Amy Schumer, Gabrielle Union all support the Marshall Plan for Moms. So being a mom's a full-time job and there's now a plan to help us get paid for all the work that we do. It's called the Marshall Plan for Moms. You're headed by Girls Who Code founder Rashima, I, oh, I want to pronounce her last name, but I'm going to mess it up. Uh, when I post the article, you can read it. Uh, the plan is urging the government to pay mothers a $2,400 monthly stipend for their labor throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. The plan also calls for paid family leave, affordable childcare, and pay equity. And the cool thing is, is that uh, the Girls Who Code, they took out a full page ad in the New York Times calling on the Biden administration to implement the Marshall Plan for Moms. Mm -hmm. This plan is actually modeled after the 1948 Marshall Plan. It's an initiative that provided financial investments to Europe to, re uh, to rebuild after World War II. So there's 50 prominent women who've signed the letter in support. So Charlize Theron and Connie Britton are also on that list. So they're not, you know, you know, they're not all, you know, politicians, but celebrities do have their sway. So it's cool. I hope something like this does come through. It would be nice. And I do think we deserve an extra $2,400 a month for doing everything that we do. We would just spend it on the kids anyway. So yeah. 100%. Right back into the economy is what yes. I'm saying. That's right, exactly right. Yeah, we appreciate, again, Christine, your story is absolutely incredible. If you have yeah, questions for Christine, you. you can email us at badaskmoms at gmail.com, and we'll make sure that she gets those. We'll also get some of those resources and put those up on our Facebook page, so you can take a look and, and yes, thank help you yourself so if much. you need it. Yes, so thank you so much. Christine, you are no an inspiration. You are thank an inspiration. Thank you so much, ladies. It was so nice to talk to you, and anybody out there that was watching, like, you can do it. Get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> you Get got out. this. You got this. Mm -hmm. right. Bye, ladies. Bye, Bye. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions, write us at badaskwithakmoms at gmail.com. You can find the lovely Jenna on Instagram at Noshing the Suburbs and Six Cool Moms with Two X's on Facebook. Find me, Christy, on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Fierce Mama Christy or Fierce Mama Coaching. Feel free to share our podcast and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts if you like what you hear. Don't forget to keep being your badass self.